Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we are doing another Career Pathways episode with good friend of GSA's good friend of Aquademia, Linda Cornish. She is the president of Seafood Nutrition Partnership, and she has had quite a journey that brought her to the seafood industry. And she's been in a lot of different industries. Really cool information in this episode. Make sure you listen all the way through because she had some amazing wisdom and knowledge bombs dropped on us at the end. But before we get into the conversation, absolutely. Before we get into the conversation, I will remind you, as I always do, to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get every new episode directly downloaded onto your device as soon as it's available. And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us, fill out the form located at globalseafood.org backslash podcast. And if you like what you're listening to, be sure to leave us a rating and review on whichever podcast platform you listen to us on. It really helps the show out and we want to get especially this episode, but all of our episodes into as many ears as possible. That's right. I hope you enjoy this episode and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. So we're sitting down today with Linda Cornish, who's the president of Seafood Nutrition Partnership. You may have heard her voice before. Uh, I believe we did an episode with her. She said, I'm trying to remember because we've done so many episodes now, but um, we think we were talking about National Seafood Month, you said, right, Linda? Yeah, I think one one year, maybe uh, another time for another topic. Yeah, closer to the beginning. It has been a while, and we have worked with Linda uh, on quite a few projects here at GSA, GAA, GSA, as we've done some stuff with Seafood Nutrition Partnership. But today is less about what we do with her company and more about her. So Linda, we're here to talk about you. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm honored to be here with you guys. We're excited to have you. This was an audience request. Like I said, this is another Career Pathways episode. So it's all about you. So we're just going to jump right into it. I want to have you start wherever you think is appropriate and just Tell us your story. We'd love to hear how you got to where you are, you know, the steps you took to get there. And maybe uh, some of our listeners will be inspired to take a similar path. Well, great. Uh, so I'm president and founder for Seafood Nutrition Partnership, and I formed this nonprofit over eight years ago. And, you know, I did not grow up thinking that I would run a seafood nonprofit. And so, um, but it's been one of the most rewarding experiences for me thus far. Um, I think, you know, a lot of us start out doing more technical uh, careers or or jobs and then moving into more of the relationship side. And and so for me, um, you know, I I started, uh, got my MBA at UCLA and undergrad um, from UC Riverside. And so I have a business background with accounting. And so I thought I was going to be a certified public accountant when I was uh, graduating. Not the dream we all have. You know, I just thought, man, (laughs) I want that auditor box and go to businesses. And so, um, but one of my uh, mentors talked me into a different path. And so um, when I was in college, I I had a job at Wells Fargo Bank as a teller. And then um, afterwards, I moved into their commercial lending practice. And so was a credit analysts, you know, managing a portfolio with 
are bankers of about $50 million. And at that point, I thought, I really want to pursue my accounting career. And he said, you know, I've been there and you really should try business consulting because that's more interesting. And he had worked at Arthur Anderson, one of the big four accounting firms, which had a business consulting practice. And so he said, let me make a phone call to the managing director of the office in Los Angeles. And, um, and that made the door open. And so um, after a couple interviews, I became a management consultant for Arthur Anderson and did that for about over eight years. And um, that really provided a great foundation for me in terms of helping businesses develop, develop their strategies. Um, what, what industry was that in? Um, so um, ours was more the the consumer product side of the business. And during this time, um, I worked with a number of industries. And so it, it went from, um, gosh, banks, um, utilities, uh, you know, e-commerce at the time was growing uh, in the 2000s. And so it was a variety of industries. And it was just so interesting. And the way our practice was laid out was it was um, strategy for really all clients. And so you could apply your strategy and competitive development skills across every industry uh, and then process uh, people and technology. And so I really had a good, well-rounded experience um, to understand how to make businesses run. And so that was phenomenal, just helping customers all around the country in the Fortune 1000s really get to, um, you know, um, their goals and, and success. And um, I think, um, you know, some of the funnest part of the project was, you know, you always have to try and fit in with the clients. And mm-hmm. so when we had a, a lumber company up in the Pacific Northwest, I went and bought some flannel. because say, you got to start wearing flannel, right? <laughs> everyone yeah. wore flannel, you know, and... And sometimes, um, gosh, you know, um, I know we had some of our colleagues, you know, they had to go to, um, you know, a chicken farm and they had to dress the part. I didn't get that job. So, you know, I didn't get to uh, get into those outfits. And so it really taught you to figure out the company's culture and how to really blend in and and uh, build relationships right away so that you can build that trust with um, trying to help them get to where they are. And so. That was a, an amazing experience, and um, you know, afterwards um, I went on to Hitachi Consulting to that for a couple of years. And during this time, this is when I decided to go get my business, uh, Master's of Business Administration at UCLA. So I did that while working uh, and did the executive program on the weekends for about two years. And wow. so I'm not sure how I did that because it was a full caseload plus work. Um, and I, I think at this time I, um, did some soul searching and one of the entrepreneur classes at UCLA really inspired me to go and start my own business. And so I left consulting. I thought, you know, consultants can do anything. I've been doing this for 10 years and I can just form a company and make it run. And, um, so I decided to, um, start an import tea business and uh, sell it to different tea boutiques. And the reason for this was one summer, my sister and I went to London uh, for a vacation 
and we went to try every single tea house, and it was just such a relaxing experience. You tried all these high-quality teas that weren't available in the U.S., and I thought, I'm going to bring this back to the U.S. because it is healthy and really will help Americans relax and enjoy their time better. Well, I was ahead of my time. It was, uh, <laughs> this is before, you know, Starbucks took over, uh, Tazo. And, um, and so uh, I created, you know, a, a private label tea design. It was um, called, I think, Jardin d'Ate, trying to make it all fancy. Ooh, and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, it was amazing. That it was delicious. Awesome. I am such <laughs> a tea fan. So I love this. What did you and do? Linda, like all kinds of different teas, all kinds, a green and black, and you know white teas. It was just, and it has such great antioxidant properties. But the flavors of teas, you know, you just realize it's there's just so much more than Lipton bag teas. <laughs> now, don't I don't knock that because it makes some really good iced tea, but there's just a really great variety of just you know nuances and notes of cherry and. Um, you know, wood, and it was just very fragrant. And I just wanted people to experience that. Um, I did that for about three years, um, but people were not drinking tea fast enough for me. I needed them to drink, you know, uh, maybe what, what they bought in a month, but people would keep about their teas for about six months. And so, yeah, well, it's, you know, you're not just bringing a product to the U.S. You're, you're really, you, you'd have to bring the culture, right? Because that's mm -hmm. not a part of the culture here in the U.S. So you right. really need to rely on like a shift in culture to really be able to push enough product, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And imagine um, that wouldn't be very easy. And what what year are we are we in roughly? Like when was this? Oh gosh, um, this is probably uh, 2000, 2002, mm -hmm. I would say. So I graduated undergrad ninety three. Went to uh, get my master's. I think two thousand. 2002 it, around around that time and i was just curious because you were yeah. mentioning about like and i'm assuming that's roughly around the time that starbucks may have been around but they weren't around like right yeah they were probably like coast. just in seattle at that time or something yeah i think they were just um expanding their coffee business so, so tea was not a main part of their business yet mm. um so after about around this time let's see what happened um I met my husband, uh, you know, we got married in, uh, in Southern California and then, uh, he's an attorney. So, uh, he found a general counsel role in Memphis, Tennessee. And nice. so, uh, so I packed up my business and started up my tea business again in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and, uh, but that was a little disruptive for me because all of a sudden, you know, things changed and, um, yeah, it just wasn't working out as well for me um, doing that business on my own. So I went to um, Harris Entertainment, which is now Caesars, and people ask, what did you do there? I'm like, well, you know, I helped deal cards in uh, the tables. I'm like, no, I I was uh, an internal business consultant. And so <laughs> took my career at Anderson and uh, they were a client of Anderson at the time. So that was a smooth transition and so they had a team of project managers inside to help the business run smoothly, uh, install technology at the different casinos, and just help their customers have a better experience. And so um, that was interesting. Um, but 
That's so I, um, interesting. I feel like that's even more of a niche <laughs> thing than seafood is. Yeah, it's very regulated, you know, because uh, you're dealing with people's money. And so you definitely had to make sure that every single dollar was accounted for. Um, there are so many video cameras in every room at the casinos. I, everybody... Um, was tracked using their reward cards. And so you knew every activity of, of every customer. So it was so interesting in the terms of data and analytics and how to help customers um, gamble faster. Isn't that interesting when you're kind of like adjacent to these entertainment style type companies? My father-in-law worked for Feld Entertainment for years and that company does Disney on Ice and mm. the Ringling Brothers, Barnum & Bailey's Circus. Um, not anymore. They used to Monster do that, Jam, Monster Jam, moto, you know, Supercross, <laughs> uh, Motocross, and all of these uh, these big live in person shows. And he was doing government relations for them. But like when you think of that, like oh, I work for you know Ringling Brothers, Barnum Bailey Circus. Like no, he's not he's not a clown. He's not he's not riding a unicycle on a high wire. But you know he knows all the ins and outs of that entertainment field, which is just so interesting to to talk to people who have like kind of lived inside that world, kind of adjacent to it. So I can imagine you had some pretty eye opening moments uh, working with them. <laughs> It was really eye-opening. And, you know, I think this is around the time where I thought, you know, I have amazing skills so and I want to apply it to a sector that I had more of a passion for. And so after about two years, even though I love my team, it just wasn't an industry I wanted to continue to grow in. Mm -hmm. And so at this time, um, I landed with the um, Greater Memphis Chamber of Commerce, which is the countywide chamber um, in Shelby County, Tennessee, which covers Memphis, Tennessee. And so I became the head of membership there and um, grew that membership department to about 3,000 business members. Uh, oh, wow. They um, didn't have a head of membership for quite some time. And so the department was floundering a bit, you know, and so I really uh, came in and, and took just really a blank page and started that department from scratch again and built a team of 10. Um, you know, this is a, a, a county with over 1.2 million people. And so it was just a, a great experience to be able to um, put together a program that would benefit the entire business community. And I took my MBA and experience and really organized my programming around giving every business an MBA course. So we had breakfast meetings, lunch meetings, lunch and learns, evening receptions, um, annual meetings. And so they were all meant to teach them something about, you know, running a business, HR, technology, marketing, sales. And so the membership grew and it was just such an exciting time for me at the, at the chamber. Um, we also had, um, you know, wanted to make sure that our workforce was healthy as well as uh, economically viable, but also personally healthy. So I formed with my team uh, some really great programs like Move It Memphis 10K, you know, so that we can all get out there and get healthy. And, um, and Did you have an initiative where everybody ended up drinking more tea? <laughs> See, I was, I've been thinking this whole time that you could have me Memphis 10 a tea. Oh, mm. wow. Justin, only Justin. <laughs> yeah, it's been floating around in my brain, so I had to get it out so I could yeah. 
<laughs> we might have to one. create a special blend, you know, have a little bit of a barbecue season in there. Tea. It's, Ooh, it's like a, okay. it's like a sweet good. tea Ooh. blend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, um, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, that experience helped me to understand the challenges that businesses face. You know, some of my members, I mean, they were from the largest, such as FedEx, International Paper, a lot of healthcare, to some of the smallest businesses. And so um, it really taught me that every every size business, you know, has unique challenges. And so we had some programming that was unique for them. Um, but during this time, you know, I um, I enjoy living in Memphis, but I was missing I was missing all the fresh produce that all these you know California farmers markets offered. And uh, you I just get took spoiled it, from the beginning. Huh? I just took <laughs> it for granted. Yeah, that doesn't everyone have a nice locals only farmers market. And because uh, the produce that we were um, buying from the supermarket at the time, it, it felt like it was a little tired, you know, it had traveled from California a couple thousand miles. And so at this time, um, I thought, you know what, I was watching TV and someone from the uh, city development office was the host. And he said, you know, we're building a great downtown Memphis, you know, love your ideas. And so what did I do? I called the office. I said, you know what you should do? you should create a farmer's market. And he said, you know what? That is a great idea and you can do it. <laughs> so, what? And so that's what, uh, that's what you get. So he yeah. uh, put me in contact with about 10 other people that had been asking the city to create a farmer's market. And so we got together. I helped create the business plan, marketing plan, and we formed the Memphis Farmer's Market. So this was a, a volunteer, full volunteer endeavor and it's still around today. I think, gosh, it's been around for almost 15 years now. Oh, and wow. it's a locals only market. And I saw firsthand the value of showing people where their food comes from, how it's grown, who the farmer is. And so, I mean, some examples, you know, kids might not want to eat their vegetables or, you know, try something new. But because they met their farmer, I would see kids say, well, I, I want my sweet potatoes because I know who grew it, you know, or my neighbors would say, you know, why are you trying to get me to come to the mar market all the time? You're talking about these tomatoes. I get my tomatoes at the market, you know, downtown. And, um, and then they come take a bite of the best tomato they've ever had. And they said, ah, this is it. what you're talking <laughs> yeah. about. And so it, that was just amazing. And so, um, uh, that was a great way to get the community together. Um, and then um, from there, um, my husband had a job opportunity in Washington, D.C. at a law firm. And so we packed up and we went to D.C. And um, here um, I first landed at the Bill of Rights Institute, which is an education nonprofit that helped history teachers teach um, all about the Bill of Rights and hmm. our history and, and founding values. And so I was their chief operating officer and um, they were going through some financially tough times. And so I helped to turn around the organization with the president to make sure that it had a better, you know, sustainable future. And so after a couple of years of doing that, we turned the nonprofit around, everything was running smoothly. I got really bored. I thought, well, I can just sit here, come in every day and just eat my bonbons. You know, I, I could just like... <laughs> You know, uh, really not bad for a little while, <laughs> not bad for a little while. And um, and so, you know, around this time, I was introduced to an executive coach 
um, who um, uh, just we just started meeting once a month to talk through what my passions were, where I wanted to see my future, and how I really wanted to apply those talents to something that I would be meaningful. And um, and so I was, you know, we were just going through, you know, I think everybody has their passion, but you have to understand your talents, what those are, and what opportunities there are. And uh, so after, I think, about six months of just the executive coaching, I found, I found an opportunity to form a Seafood Education Foundation, and that was posted by the National Fisheries Institute. They were looking for somebody to start a nonprofit from scratch, and they had a little bit of seed money to um, get this person started. And so I thought, wow, this is food. I love seafood. How hard can this be? I mean, I eat seafood almost every day, you know, and um, I was born in Taiwan and we uh, moved here when I was seven to the United States. And I thought, this is easy. We could do it. I'm a consultant. I could do anything. And so <laughs> I took that attitude, um, a can-do attitude, and uh, went to apply for the job and I got it. And so, you know, one of the things that really stood out to them um, in terms of experience that would be beneficial in starting this nonprofit was the um, consulting experience at Arthur Anderson. But what stood out to them was forming the Memphis Farmers Market. They said, if you can help Memphians love vegetables, we think you can help Americans love seafood. And... Uh, and then also the Bill of Rights had a nonprofit background for me to, to demonstrate as well. And so I got the job. I had um, a blank pay to start from, a little bit of money, and I started to form the business plan, uh, the board, and build out the organization from scratch. So I was with NFI for about three months, and then we went independent. So we're completely separate from NFI. And um, we just grew this organization by building a broad board of directors that is represented by all facets of the seafood industry, the large companies, um, the science, nutrition. Uh, and then we built a scientific advisory council of the best scientists for omega-3 nutrition and, and seafood. Uh, and then an ambassador team. And so it's been just a an amazing experience to conduct grassroots campaigns around the country, first on the ground with, you know, people in about eight markets to now running a digital only campaign with Eat Seafood America. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, it's, it, you know, it just grew. Uh, there was such a need for a, a nonprofit group to focus on the health benefits of seafood. It was such a, such a niche, you know, within the seafood industry, because I think you have, probably 30 or more organizations focus on the sustainability practices of um, seafood certifications, uh, sourcing, transparency, but there wasn't a group that focused on nutrition. And, um, and the timing of this, I think, in hindsight was perfect because around this time, the United Nations also had a focus for all countries to start focusing on nutrition. So there was a, an awakening that what we eat really matters for our health. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just, you know, fighting infectious diseases anymore around the world. It was chronic diseases, you know, diseases that are impacted by what we eat or don't eat. And so um, it was really the right time to start a, a nutrition nonprofit also, it was the right time because there had been so much advanced um, 
advances and progress made in sustainable seafood development. Um, that no one was talking about. Either. That no one was talking about, right? And, and yeah. so, um, but because th- there have been such advances um, with making sure that retailers and food service operators were sourcing sustainable seafood, that provided a great platform for a nutrition nonprofit to encourage consumers to eat seafood. And so without the sustainable seafood movement, I don't think S&P would have had the foundation to really encourage consumers to eat more seafood because, you know, we had to answer the sourcing practices and, and how things were being done better through best practices, such as BAP. I'll put a plug in there for you guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, if anybody who doesn't know what BAP is, best aquaculture practices, by the way. <laughs> so, you know, I think, uh, so, you know, I think uh, S&P, I would say, is a culmination of just so many of my experiences um, that came before. And that's a good lesson for a lot of us out there that, you know, you may not, you know, um, see your future, you know, in a current job for more than two years, but do the best you can in that job and take that experience and build upon it to something else. And so I remember at the Bill of Rights Institute, I thought, well, you know, I'm not really done everything I could at this organization. Um, But when I thought about it, there's other things I could do in terms of um, being more of a counsel and advisor to the staff and um, president to grow certain aspects of the nonprofit. And so there was always something that you can you can learn from. And sometimes if you just take yourself out of the, you know, I need to do this right away. I need to get to this point right away and just have a little bit of patience and just see what is my role today trying to teach me, you know, and and because there's always a lesson, you know, in it. And we're in a job for only so long before you know it, you might be, you know, at a different location, but there's always something. And I know whenever, you know, people I mentor, they're like really impatient about getting somewhere. I'm like, you know what? The universe is just not ready for you to move on yet. And so what is that one lesson you still need to learn before you go on? And so I think um, once you learn that, doors will open to your next path. And so that's been something that um, I've always just felt really good about knowing I've been able to apply each of my previous roles into the current job today. I think that's such a beautiful takeaway, Linda, because as you were sharing your story about the various jobs that you've had throughout your career, one thing that was coming to my mind is that it just seems like you were just so patient and willing to let things unfold in the way that they were meant to. And you were patient. I think that that's the right word. Like you were patient <laughs> to stick it out in certain jobs where you might not have felt like it was challenging you enough or it wasn't necessarily where you wanted to be long term. Mm-hmm. But because you stuck it out and took the lessons that you were able to from them. It then led you to this being the president of SNP, where I feel like now hearing where you've came from, it's really a combination of everything that you've learned along the way. It's a really cool story. I think, too, my takeaway was as you walk through those different projects and employment opportunities that you had, there were many that you went into where there were financial struggles. There needed to someone needed to come in and have like a vision and act on it. And you had successes all the way throughout. Yeah. 
There was a hurdle that needed to be overcome, right? And we're now fighting the same, I don't even know if battle is the right word, right? But we're both now in like this seafood industry Mm -hmm. and we're looking at, I mean, Sean mentioned a cultural switch in a way in order to be successful. Like, so whether that was trying to make people understand this whole new world of tea, but now it's seafood's always been around. Seafood is not just X. There's not only nutritional value, but you can't say because you don't like shrimp that you don't like seafood because there are hundreds of different variations. So it's how do you market? How do you send that message? There's no light switch. A culture doesn't change overnight. There are some big hurdles that can be hurdled overnight, maybe. Mm-hmm. But I think right now where you are in your career and where we are as a as an organization is trying to now looking at where's the collaboration, where are their progresses and advancements that we need to push out to the to the masses to try to show people the benefits of seafood and really increase that awareness and also the consumption of sustainable or responsible seafood. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, those challenges in terms of um, helping consumers understand the benefits of seafood that is offered through, you know, nutrition, but the sustainability aspect for the environment and also for our jobs. It's, it's very critical, but I, I think in, uh, in our work, in my work um, through S&P and all the other experiences, I think the biggest thing that we need to do as an industry is to meet the consumer where they are. And so whenever we are producing a communications resource or social media messages, I think the best thing for us to do is look through the consumer's eyes and take it from a beginner's lens because we use so many technical jargon that all of a sudden everyone gets lost and and glazed over with their eyes and and so they're not really sure how they can sound like an expert without feeling silly when they talk about seafood. Well, and if anyone that's listening is interested in in that and they don't want to seem silly and they want to really seem like they know what they're talking about, just use as many acronyms as you can and everyone will be fine with it. This industry has more acronyms than any other industry I've ever encountered. And you can so, just make them up and people will nod. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're, we're really working on our SFHs on the whatever. Like, just make them up and people will be like, oh, yeah, okay, that's just probably just some acronym I haven't learned yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but I think one thing with, uh, like, doing the grassroots campaigns, I mean, we, we were in on the ground you know, in the middle of the country in um, Indianapolis, Memphis, Oklahoma City. And uh, gosh, I recommend all of us to go to a supermarket or a restaurant and just talk to consumers because it's so eye-opening, you know, trying to get people to try a salmon burger or a shrimp cocktail. A shrimp cocktail is probably easier, but, um, you know, salmon burger, everyone thought, well, one, well, is, is seafood available here in, in our town? So they still have this mentality that seafood was not available if you're not on the coast. Mm-hmm. And so somebody had to tell them, we have flash frozen at sea technology. It's here and available for everybody around the country. And, um, and that you can have fresh seafood or high quality frozen seafood now. Uh, and, uh, but a lot of people still had the fish sticks that you remember, you know, memory from, you know, school when they were growing up. So I think we really need to understand, like, who are we talking to? Is it a mom that is busy? What you see her with three kids, she's not going to understand what, you know, the SFITH is that we're doing this week. 
you know, and so you need to understand, oh, she only has 15 minutes to make dinner and she wants to make sure her kids are smart. By the way, if you eat seafood, you know, and you give your kids seafood, it's good for their brain and they're calmer. They get uh, better, you know, grades in school. We do have some scientists that study that kids who ate more seafood um, had parents with less domestic violence. That's Hmm. a really interesting uh, result because the kids were calmer. They were not causing havoc at home. And the parents were okay with each other. So there's God, just I some go really jump so much fish down my kids' throats today. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really works. It really calms them down. And uh, so I think I think we just really have to understand, you know, um, who we're we talking to. Is it an athlete because they want to have the best performance with their, you know, next game or um, sport? I mean, it really reduces inflammation. And so I think I think for us, you know, um, we. Um, we just have to kind of understand like who we're talking to and, and um, yeah, take away the technical jargon as much as we can. So what is SNP working on now that uh, that our listeners can be involved in or look out for? Yeah, so um, we are incubating the National Seafood Council. And so, you know, there are campaigns for like Got Milk, um you know, beef, what's for dinner, uh, mm-hmm. pork, the other white meat. There hasn't been a seafood campaign nationally for over 30 years. And these other commodities, they have, uh, milk has about $330 million a year for marketing. Avocados has $50 million, which you guys talked about in one of your goal meetings. Yep. And yep. so um, S&P is taking the banner, an idea that was outlined by NOAA's Marine Fisheries Advisory Council, uh, that came out in 2020, whether um, the industry was ready for a national seafood council and a national seafood campaign. And so that was delivered to the Department of Commerce in July of 2020. Um, and it kind of just sat there. And we thought, wow, with the Eat Seafood America campaign, it brought together 50 nonprofits. The industry really found something that they could all agree on to say Eat Seafood America was a common message that all of us can really use and promote. And so we thought as a board that it would be a great platform for a national seafood campaign. So we uh, started incubating this idea with the National Seafood Council Task Force of about 30 members, corporate members. Uh, You have the largest companies to the smallest fisher men and women on our task force now. And so our goal is to secure public-private funding to uh, fund a national seafood campaign, uh, go to um, Congress for funding a national seafood campaign, and show industry that marketing does work. And we've got some great pilots that we'll be announcing in about a month to show that we can actually use um, our digital technologies these days and encourage consumers to actually buy more seafood, get into the category. So it's pretty exciting. So it's um, that along with um, just continuing seafood nutrition partnership in our science-based programming, such as the science symposium, to make sure that we continue to get this great information about the benefits of seafood out to as many people as possible. Awesome. So I, we, ha- we have a couple more questions that we normally ask. We kind of alluded to those earlier, but listening to your career pathway and all of the different, I mean, you have bounced from <laughs> industry to industry and just, we always talk about how everyone that we talk to on here doesn't plan to be in seafood. They don't say, 
You know, like I went to school for aquaculture and fishery tech, so I was like, it was pretty likely that I was going to end up in seafood. But <laughs> the most people, yeah, most people that are here, they kind of sidestepped their way into the industry and then they got, they, they stuck around. But you have been in so many different industries and have been successful to, to varying degrees in each of those industries. And so I'm curious, and I don't know if you've been asked this question before, Linda, or not, not I might be putting you on the spot, but. Are you going to stick with us? Are you going to stick around with seafood or are you going to, do you think someday you're going to kind of move into a different industry? What do you think? Sean, great question. And no one's asked me that before. I would say I am sticking with seafood because the business plan for the National Seafood Council is 10 years. Well, there you go. So <laughs> when my board saw the business plan, they said, great, we have you for another 10 years. We got you for a decade at least. <laughs> <laughs> She's locked in. You know, and, and why is that? Because... I, I truly believe seafood is a solution for so many of our issues that we face today in the U.S. and around the world. I mean, we're facing a public health crisis, climate change, and questioning where we're going to get our food when we have 9, 10 you know, billion people by 2050. And so seafood really is a solution for all of these issues. So we say it's good for our health, good for the planet, and good for our future food security. <laughs> And um, that really gets me going every day. I am excited about this. And I see that the industry is coming together. It's a very fragmented industry. Mm -hmm. And we all have our unique lanes that we work in. But um, I, I do see that we're working together more collaboratively every day. And that really excites me. And so I think, um, yeah, I'm, I'm here, Sean. Don't worry. All right. <laughs> we got it on record, just so you know. <laughs> Seven years from now, if you if you bolt and you go work in like the uh, the, the gummy bear industry or something, you know, we'll uh, we'll, we'll bring this. Or recording if the out. Memphis Tennessee really takes uh, off, yeah, Memphis Tennessee. Well, you, you'll have to you'll have to pair it with some seafood dishes to you know. Keep <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Justin, Maddie, what else did you guys? I know you guys have probably have some questions. I don't want to take over the whole conversation here. So, I mean, I don't want to stray the conversation because this is a career pathways episode. So I, I mean, a lot of my questions, I think I probably asked you the last time you were on the show. So I want to kind of stay away from those, but I mean, this episode could end up going for another two hours easily because there's so many, like what excites me about it, you know, here and here I go. Right. So I'm like, Oh, I'm not going to ask these <laughs> questions going down the road. <laughs> But what excites me is I, I I come from the perspective of I grew up um, in Vermont and I my fish intake was maybe shrimp co cocktail on a holiday or on the holidays or fish sticks periodically for for dinner because you know lobster on vacation ev everyone yeah. likes that and, and it wasn't even lobster I don't think I would have tried lobster and. And then I got into this industry, was never planning on getting in the industry, like 99% of the people it seems like that that do. And then it is so exciting and rewarding, especially the work that that you're doing excites me, the work that GSA is doing excites me. And I've been using all sorts of techniques, one to increase seafood consumption in our household, but also like I have random conversations now with people in the supermarket, which I never thought I would ever be qualified be to do, but also, you know, I don't try not to, to your point, Linda, I don't want to overcomplicate it. You got to meet people where they're at. So it's just like, Hey, do you know that that bag of shrimp you just put in your cart is actually certified? <laughs> I mean, even that might be too complicated, <laughs> but it's like, it might just be as easily saying you just made a really 
really good, good choice. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I guess I really don't know where this rambling w- was going, but I want to take one of your points, which was when you're working with the produce in, in Tennessee and, and you saw an increase in people eating, whether it was a fruit or a vegetable, because you showed them the farmer. And it made <laughs> me think like, what... What can we do? And I wondered if that same approach would happen with our kids. I mean, I'm fortunate enough to live right on the main coast. So we can meet a lot of these lobstermen. We can meet a lot of these farmed, whether it's clams, mussels, uh, whatever it is. My kids actually have that, that experience. But maybe if you're landlocked, there's still aquaculture that can take place, whether that's an RES system or whatnot. But what if technology can help you meet those farmers, right? It's QR codes that can that are on packaging that allows you to meet. More time might be needed, but I wonder about how technology can help with that mentality of meeting the farmer, whether that's a trust piece or just, I, I don't know. I would be curious to see how down the road, if being more connected to where your food comes from will increase consumption. Well, we just held two webinars for retail dietitians. These are um, nutritionists that work in different grocery stores with a salmon farmer. Uh, I think he was with Schooner Bay um, and um, also with a chef. And so we shipped the dietitian's salmon. Uh, We had the farmer show his farm and what he does and how he feeds the uh, salmon and had a cook along with the chef in New York. I we could do this because of the, you know, pandemic now. Everyone's so used to meeting by Zoom, yeah. and everyone's brains and eyes just opened up. Like, wow, feed really does matter for salmon, and you can control it. You can actually figure out what they're eating, and there's cameras underneath these, you know, open ocean pens, and and then uh, everyone share their favorite recipe. So um, that was impactful. Just people, you know, we so we have to show people where their food comes from. And um, in any opportunity that you have to do that, whether it's a QR code, whether it's a video at the store next to the seafood case, it matters, even though you think, oh, I'm only reaching 20 today. Well, they each reach maybe, you know, their families or friends, you know, so, but we just have to do that on a much larger scale. And so I, I think uh, a campaign idea would be a really good one. Yeah, that Got Milk campaign. I remember flipping through like the Sports oh, Illustrated yeah, for kids magazine, and there's yeah. always, you know, Michael Jordan with like a milk mustache. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was genius. That was some genius marketing. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. So my question for you, Linda, is one of my favorite questions to ask people during Career Pathways episodes. And that is, do you have any advice for people who are thinking about dipping their toe in the seafood industry or people who are just interested in learning more about the industry? If you have any advice for them and what would it be? I would say get into the seafood industry because if you want to help save the world and help us to have enough food for the future, this is an industry to be going into to explore more about. And it's also ripe with opportunity You know, I think when you look at other food groups, like the other proteins, um, you know, it's pretty consolidated. But they kind of got things wrapped up and they're just like maintaining the status quo, right? That's it. Like, that's how things are going to get done. But because we have a pretty fragmented nature, it's starting to coalesce a little bit. But, you know, with that 
fragmentation and I would say chaos sometimes, that opens up a lot of opportunity for young people to get into this industry and figure out where their place is. You know, look at, you know, one for Neptune. Uh, you know, they decided to just make jerky. Wow, that's great, right? And, um, you know, you can go and, and start seaweed farming. Or um, if you go to Maryland, you can get, you know, I think an acre of oyster farming water for maybe $3. I mean, so oh, there's wow. different things that you can do to really get started in this industry and find your place. I also have to say that this industry and this, this, this seafood industry has the best people. Not every, not a lot of us come into, you know, our careers thinking, I'm going to go into seafood. But I think a lot of us stay because you see the relationships that's been built over the years and how they matter and how we're all trying to do our part to make our particular piece of the world better. And it's going to become even more important as we um, face some of the challenges that we do, you know, in, in our lifetime. And so, Maddie, I would say go into it find some mentors, build some relationships, and uh, keep those relationships because the seafood industry is also small and folks rotate a lot. I've seen, you know, people go from one company to the next. And so those relationships that you built at the beginning um, will continue to matter no matter where people move on to. And so, um, yeah, I am excited about this industry. It's, I think you're going to start seeing, this growth and awareness of what we're doing uh, from the blue food assessment to sustainable seafood, you know, you're, you're just going to see that everyone's going to recognize that, wow, the earth is covered in 70% ocean and we're only using about 3% to grow our food and we need more food. So this is really the next frontier. And I would encourage anybody to get into this industry. But beware if you get in, you won't leave because (laughs) it's just, (laughs) you'll get hooked. That's right. You'll get hooked. (laughs) Look, <laughs> line sinker. So before we close out, uh, Linda, do you have any other last minute kind of messages or anything you want to put out there while you, you have the platform, while your microphone is on? Yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, to everyone listening, you have so much potential within you. A lot of times we are trying to figure out what to do with our career, what to do with an issue. We have the answers within us. It's a a lot of times we just need to talk with somebody or share it with others. So finding a mentor or advisor or an executive coach is something that I would recommend. And we have a lot of people with a lot of experience in this industry, some going back 30 years, you know, definitely utilize them because they have a wealth of knowledge. And, um, and then I think, you know, for the entrepreneurs out there that are trying to get into the industry, I, I have this quote from Goath. He's a I think German philosopher, uh, I wrote it down. It's, you know, if you leap, the net will appear. So if you are thinking about doing something and you have a little bit of a, you know, risk aversion, do your best planning, do your research, get all of your relationships and networks and resources together. Um, and when it's time to make that jump, you will be okay. And so uh, I just uh, want to just encourage us to take a chance on ourselves and really see our own potential and how we can make a difference in this industry that we're all working in to make the world better. I love that. That's fantastic advice. Thank you for that. So, Justin, do you want to ask the final question? 
I didn't know we had questions. What's the final question? <laughs> the final question is how people can get in contact with me. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just want Usually to that is my question. But I, just right. lo- I love to hear your voice on this show, and we want to get more of you on here. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I-, I want more of Linda on the show. Yeah. You have, you, me too. So Sean tasked us with quoting moments within an episode that we want to uh, make social posts for. And I have too many. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, to, to Sean's point, if any of our listeners would like to learn more or contact you, what is the best way that they can do that? Well, go to seafoodnutrition.org. You can find my email there or it's linda at seafoodnutrition.org. And I would love to hear from you. We are open to people joining the National Seafood Council Task Force. We need everybody to help us really stand up this National Seafood Council. It doesn't exist yet. It's currently in the design phase. So I encourage you, if you're interested, please reach out to me and learn more about it. Excellent. Well, Justin, Betty, you got anything else? That's it. All right. Well, Linda... Thank you so much again for joining us. We really appreciate it. We loved hearing your story and we will talk to you soon. Thank you. This is a so much fun. Thanks appreciate so much, it, Linda. Linda. Thanks. Okay. Take care. Folks, that was our conversation with Linda Cornish, the president of Seafood Nutrition Partnership. As always, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you learned something and wrote down some of that knowledge that she dropped at the end and throughout the entire episode, really. As always, I want to remind you to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen so you can get all new episodes directly downloaded to your device as soon as they are available. And we are on Twitter. Follow us at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us, go to globalseafood.org backslash podcast and fill out the form. And finally, if you like what you listened to today, then be sure to leave us a rating. It takes not even five seconds. You just click whichever amount of stars you want to give us because we love to hear from you. That's right. So thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Ciao. Bye.